I'm Josh Swartz. And I'm William Millingworth. Hosts of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am excited to be here with you all on this beautiful Wednesday evening here in Texas, and hopefully wherever it is that you are in the world, whether it's, you know, still Wednesday, maybe well into Thursday, wherever you are, as always, thank you so much for making us part of your day, making us part of your listening and viewing pleasure. I really appreciate all the support. Thank you so much for all the likes, shares, and follows, and to all the new uh, followers on Twitter or on any socials. Welcome to the My EdTech Life community. Thank you so much. And as you know, our mission is to connect educators and creators one show at a time, bringing you some relevant conversations that are just happening within our education space. And of course, we always look to amazing educators and creators that are doing some great things. And today, that is definitely the what we're doing. And so today, I would love to welcome Mr. Adil Khan to the show. We will be talking about AI and and everything around it. And of course, some of the work that he is specifically doing. And so it's going to be a great, great conversation. So if you are not familiar with uh, Adil's work after tonight, I definitely encourage you to connect on all socials with him. We'll be sharing the links. All of that will be in the show notes. But please make sure that you connect uh, with Adil because they are doing some amazing things. So with that in mind, Adil, how are you this evening? I am doing great today. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I've been a fan watching and uh, like we talked about before, I've just been inspired by the content that you've been producing. And I know that this takes a lot of energy and effort and just grateful for you being in the space and giving folks like me a platform um, to share some of the work that we're doing and doing it in such a high quality way. So just uh, a enthusiastic thanks and uh, gratitude for what you're doing for education in the entire space. And I am doing amazing because I get to be here today and talk to an amazing community of educators. This morning, I got to go to my old high school that I founded um, and spend some time with the teachers and students that were a part of my community just two years ago. Um, this weekend, I got to see uh, our third senior class from that high school graduate. So I'm in the best of moods. Graduation is such a special time. And uh, I was so grateful to be able to be a part of it, connect with families again, and see some of my old students graduate. Excellent. Well, wonderful. I'm glad that you, you know, this is a, a great, I guess, hopefully end to your day, you know, as you wind down the evening, having a great conversation about the work that you're doing. And again, thank you so much for all the kind words. Like I said, we do what we do to just help enrich this uh, community and of course, you know, help our education landscape and the people in it, you know, get inspired and of course, learn some new things and be able to stay up to date with what is happening. So Adil, let's go ahead and dive in. And as you know, if you are familiar with the show, the first part of the segment or the first part of the show is actually kind of that superhero origin story. So anybody that is familiar with the show knows that anybody who is a guest on the My EdTech Live show is somebody who is doing some amazing things that I am just kind of looking uh, at and I am in shock because of how great it is and just how enthusiastic, enthusiastic it makes me feel. And as we know, I liken them to a superhero of sorts. So 
we also know that every superhero has an origin story. So Adil, if you can go ahead and tell us a little bit about your education journey, that way our guests can be familiar with where it is that you're coming from within the education space. Yes, absolutely. I wouldn't call myself a superhero, but I do have an origin story in education. And it starts, uh, I was I went to Virginia Tech um, in Southwest Virginia. I'm a Hokie, go Hokies. Um, I graduated and uh, I studied business in college. And uh, I was also the student body president of my college. And at the time, there was a uh, a program called Teach for America that was recruiting leaders from different colleges around the country uh, to teach in low-income communities after their college experience. Um, I was connected because since they were searching for leaders on different campuses around the country uh, to the organization, I applied, um, learned a lot about like the inequities that were happening in education through that process, actually. I wasn't quite aware of it until I had learned about the organization, but I had a passion for service and Teach for America really spoke to that for me. So uh, I never thought I'd go back to a school after I graduated high school. Uh, I never thought I'd go back to a K-12 environment, um, but I was so inspired by the uh, thought that I could help students uh, who had um, not the same opportunities that other kids had in the, in the country and start furthering that mission of equity in education as a person of color, an immigrant uh, to this country. I was afforded a great education growing up and I think that every kid in the country deserves that. And that was very much Teach for America's mission and something I could get behind. Uh, so I became a teacher in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I taught at a wonderful high school called Mount Zion High School. I was a high school English teacher and I taught special education too. Uh, as we know, sometimes people wear multiple hats when they're uh, <laughs> in a school building and I was one of those. Uh, I taught for two years at that school and that school was a beautiful community. I learned so much about what it meant to be a teacher uh, there and uh, got so much great mentorship from folks in my building um, who were just willing to take me under my wing as a 21-year-old kid. Um, I was like by far the youngest teacher in, my, in the building and I think people saw me struggling and wanted to help. Uh, so, so, so much gratitude for that experience. From there, I went to uh, a school nearby that uh, was actually a new school. Um, it was called KIPP Strive Academy in Atlanta, Georgia. And that school had a reputation for uh, kind of starting to close some of those gaps that we see um, between students from low-income backgrounds and more privileged students. So I knew I wanted to go to that school to learn. Um, like, what are they doing differently from uh, other schools in the country that is closing that gap and furthering educational equity? Another thing about that school being new was that the founding principal was still there. So um, I got there and I was like, whoa, I didn't know you could found a school. Like this is something that uh, was just completely new to me. Um, but from there, kind of a dream was born. I wanted to found a school of my own. I'd always had like an entrepreneurial streak and um, I got to see what really great school looked like and took those ideas and also some of the, my own ideas I had and thought that, you know, maybe if I could found a school, make a plan for one, that would be a dream come true. Fast forward a couple of years, um, move out to Denver, Colorado, because uh, I'm actually pursuing that dream with a lot of vigor. Uh, and Denver is, a, at, at the time, uh, a growing student population. So I knew that there was going to be an opportunity to open new schools in Colorado. So I moved to, to Denver after I had finished grad school and uh, was in like a principal and residence program, um, knowing that if I did well in that program, uh, while being in it, I was an assistant principal at several different schools. And while there was no guarantee I'd be able to open my own school, I thought that if I stood out and I really like went after it, I'd have the chance. 
And then uh, I got to found Conservatory Green High School, which is um, in the northeast of Denver. And uh, Conservatory Green High School is my dream manifest. Um, I got to found that school from the ground up. Um, we're now 912. Uh, I just mentioned getting to go to the third graduation. Um, it is an incredibly special school. Uh, it is the top performing public high school in the city of Denver. Um, and that is built on a foundation of incredibly hardworking teachers who put their, their hearts and souls into their students and deeply, deeply care about them um, as humans. The foundation of our school, I always say, is the relationships we keep with our students. And uh, I'm so deeply proud of what we've been able to accomplish. And there are about 60, 70 staff members now there, and each of them um, are committed to that mission of furthering ed educational inequity and believing that the, the only way to do that is by loving your kids and believing them deeply and knowing them well and, and helping them become the best versions of themselves. Excellent. Well, Adil, wow, that is quite a lot that you have been able to do. And thank you so much for sharing your origin story with us and really just showing us the, the really the passion that you have and just in speaking or in, actually in hearing what you're saying and everything that you have gone through and, and doing, I mean, wow, that, and you're still have enough energy to keep doing what you're doing now. And that's wonderful too, as well, because we definitely need more amazing educators such as yourself that are inspired and that are just really motivated to just bring just great solid education and a great solid environment to our students today. And so thank you so much for all of that work that you've put in and, and that you continue to do. And so now I kind of want to talk a little bit as far as, uh, you know, when I first uh, heard your name for the very first time, it was on my friend Daniel's podcast that we were just talking about earlier, which is uh, the uh, AI educators conversation. And he definitely, that was a great interview and a great show. And just as enthusiastic as you were on that show, uh, you're definitely doing the same here. So that's great. So I know that he was talking a little bit about, you know, AI, and that's the conversation that is centered around. So I want to know a little bit about your, I guess, introduction to AI, how that came about, and of course, how now that has influenced the work that you're kind of doing now and leading you up to the uh, the magic of AI through magicschool.ai. Yeah, so, you know, one thing I didn't mention in my story is that I've always been really into emerging technologies. So, like, I was that kid growing up who built his own desktop computer, you know, bought the motherboard, put it all together, you know, was was just always into technology, even though it wasn't necessarily my, my direct profession. Um, so it was inevitable that AI and the narrative would just come in front of me and I'd be very interested in it because that's been kind of a theme throughout my life. I'm always thinking about what's going on in the tech world. Uh, I happen to be on a sabbatical when ChatGPT came out. So uh, I, I very much believe it was very like serendipitous that I actually had time and space to think about AI while also having all of this experience in education. Um, and that is a, a, like a luxury that, as you know, many educators do not have, right? Like most educators are working 12 hour days. They're focused on just what's in front of them, trying to get to the next day. And I was one of those two um, at times in my career for sure. So it kind of found myself in this place of seeing ChatGPT, seeing some of the generative AI tools and, and starting to think like, if I was still working right now and not on my sabbatical, what would I be using these tools for? So I started testing some things out, thinking of use cases for staff members in my school um, and was in, immediately taken by it. I was like, wow, this does something way more than I thought it could do. Um, and I wonder if educators are using this yet. Um, so I started calling around to my old teachers, my old colleagues, and asked them, 
you know, what is what's going on in schools with AI? Like, are you guys using this? Are you guys, you know, using it to edit work? Are you using it to uh, help you do your work? You know, be a partner in thinking like some of the ways I was using it. Um, and the answer was generally crickets. Like people were like, not really using it at all. Uh, there are a couple of teachers who are upset that students are using it to, to cheat on their homework and their essays, but that's kind of the only thing we're, we're hearing about AI in school right now. And mind you, I'm talking to educators who are pretty progressive. Like they're thinking about the future of school. They are folks who are really committed to, uh, innovating and becoming better in their work. Uh, so, you know, mind you, I, I don't, I, I think that all educators are, are like that. I felt like I was talking to a select group that would almost, I was kind of picking the people who I thought might know. And the answer was, was a shocking, resounding no. Um, but after thinking about it a little bit longer, it wasn't so shocking. It's like I mentioned, teachers are busy, like they're infinitely talented and they can do so many amazing things. But to be paying attention to this takes a lot of time and energy and effort. And as we know, many teachers are working extraordinary hours. They have kids at home. Um, they have lives that are full. So where are you going to spend the time to like go learn about chat GPT? Where are you going to spend the time to learn how to be a prompt engineer? How are you going to find that time when you're in the classroom? Um, the answer is you're not. You're likely, um, unless you're someone who's really into emerging tech and you're going to do this anyways, don't get me wrong, we've now found some people who are really using um, AI well in the classroom. Uh, there are very select few. As a percentage, I would say it's probably like under 5% who are really using it productively. And there's tons of studies out there that say that, you know, 46% of teachers are, have, have used ChatGPT. That might be true, but I'd argue that it's probably less than 5% who are using it productively in their daily work. Um, and that's because using it productively requires training, requires probably somebody who knows it pretty well sitting by you side by side, um, and also knowing what to do with it. Um, so that's kind of like where the origin of the organization came from was like, we need to help teachers do this. We need to help them get AI in their hands, start using it because we think it can save them tons of time. Um, and we know that teacher sustainability is a crisis in our country. Uh, we have teachers leading the profession in droves. The teacher shortage is only getting worse. Um, so if we can save them some time and energy and make the teaching profession more sustainable, that was the initial like passion origin. I've seen so many incredible educators leave the classroom because they couldn't do it when they had kids or they just felt some sense of burnout. Um, and if I could use AI to help uh, those educators stay in the classroom where they make such an incredible impact on kids. That's kind of the origin and mission of what we started. So uh, that that is where we came to Uncharted AI and it connects to Magic School. So stay with me here. Uh, so Uncharted AI uh, focuses on just the training of educators. So we focus on uh, superintendents, district leaders and help them understand what AI is. Uh, the ethical implications of it, privacy concern, concerns, and just help them get a view of it because they're the ones leading the districts. They need to understand uh, how folks in their world, students and adults are using this. And the best way to do that is by learning to use the tools themselves and use them. So we work with those folks to get that done. And then we also have a fellowship with Uncharted AI that is called the AI in Education Fellowship. And uh, we just closed the application for that last Friday, uh, but we'll have another round of that um, soon. So we hope that uh, others can join and stay tuned. It's really cool. Um, we had over 80 applicants from around the world, um, all every state, um, really, really cool um, diversity in, in applicants. And uh, so we're, we're paring those down. 
and we're going to send out um, kind of acceptances soon and, and get that that fellowship rolling for the fall, um, starting in August. And that's just kind of our core of the folks who we who want to be on the cutting edge of AI. We're going to build like a learning management system for them, for them to share ideas. We'll have some synchronous virtual sessions where they'll get to like uh, learn about the most cutting edge technologies collaborate, build that cohort model so they can learn from each other. And we think that's going to be a great way to start uncovering innovation in this space. Um, while we think that those folks on the, the top and leadership need to know what AI is to lead, we also think the folks who are actually working with our students who are in the classrooms are going to drive the most innovation. So that's kind of our approach from that knowledge base. And then all of that feeds some of our software products. Uh, the first being magicschool.ai, which we are so, so proud of that rolled out uh, after a, about a week-long beta. We rolled it out officially this past Monday. And Magic School AI um, takes all of the highest leverage use cases for educators and puts them in one place and makes it super simple to use. No need to learn how to be a prompt engineer. No need to wonder when you get to the ChatGPT console, what do I type? What can I use this for? It's all there and ready for you. We already have a pretty robust suite of tools on the site and we're adding more every single day. Um, the key there is simplicity and democratizing AI for everyone. It is completely free. And we think that we've already gotten some really great feedback from folks. People are really excited about it. Um, and you're finding all those time-saving tools right in one place. Uh, I'll share one final like anecdote about that is, you know, I sat with a superintendent of a school district who was really interested in AI. And uh, I got to the meeting and I'd found out that though they were interested, they'd heard the ether and like all of the, you know, things happening with AI in the news, they'd never actually seen ChatGPT, which is a common occurrence. But I pull up ChatGPT to kind of demo it for them. And their reaction is, this is it? And I remember being like, oh, yeah, if you've never seen this, it doesn't look particularly impressive. Uh, you don't really know what to do with it. Um, for folks who are listening to this podcast who are really into ed tech, you're, you'd probably think, oh, yeah, of course, it's ChatGPT. I use it every day. It's really cool. But for the average person, like, uh, it's just like it looks like a screen. You know, it's not really like doesn't really tell you how to use it, doesn't necessarily drive you to make it productive. Um, so that's kind of what we're working on. That's excellent. I mean, and everything, like I said, it, it really, since you described it, you know, in December and everything just coming out to fruition, now the AI is forward facing. We had the initial scare, obviously, when new tech comes out, everybody always thinks like, oh, there we go. There goes our job. There goes this yeah. There goes that. And you're absolutely right. You know, for, for at least for myself, what I have observed here in this area where I live, it's really only a very small percentage of us educators that are using it, that know how to use it, or at least trying to really leverage those tools. And, you know, one of the things is I, I was presenting at a conference uh, about a week ago uh, here, one of our local tech conferences, and really many of us that were presenting on AI, but those presentations where AI was being introduced were packed. I mean, it was standing room yeah. only and we were sharing tools. We were having conversations. We were showing and demonstrating the potential on how to leverage these tools because you mentioned a couple of things that really are at the forefront. Obviously, for a lot of districts, like I told you, our district is ending already. You know, last day will be tomorrow. And so I was talking to you about probably a big load of teachers, new teachers 
that will be coming in and, you know, the burnout, of course, the effect of a lot of great teachers that are leaving. And my, my mission has always been just keep the tech simple, but keep it effective enough where you have those teachers that may be able to extend, you know, their, their longevity as far as teaching is concerned, because now they've got or have adopted tech in such a way that now they've been able to find their workflow and so on. And I honestly feel that with the tools that are out there now and the tools that continue to be built, I mean, it's all about giving teachers time back. And that's what I'm a big proponent of and using and leveraging that. So now I want to ask you, because you did mention Uncharted, and of course the mission of that is to go out and educate and bring the the knowledge and, you know, of what is happening. I want to ask you through you, the work that you have done up to now and the conversations that you have had what are some of the biggest obstacles when introducing AI or maybe some of the biggest concerns as far as maybe privacy? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there as you go out. So uh, it's a great question. Uh, I think the, the things that come to mind first are on one side of it, I'm really uh, optimistic. Uh, you know, the, the New York uh, public school superintendent just came out with a great article in Shockbeat that if your listeners haven't read yet, I highly recommend. Uh, you know, New York was very famous for banning ChatGPT and making headlines for that. And his new op-ed talks about how he is embracing it in the coming school year. So, you know, kind of playing catch up and now thinking to embrace it. I think that's going to be a bellwether for the rest of school districts in the country. Um, as New York, the biggest school district in, in, the, in the U.S., uh, is often kind of a leader in that way. I'll say that a lot of the folks I've talked to in these kind of C-level positions, whether a superintendent, uh, CEO of like a charter management organization, uh, they are like they're interested in it they uh understand that like they have to embrace it i think most folks because we've lived through these technology waves in our lifetimes for these people they're like well you know usually it's resisted and then it's embraced so let's just cut to where it's being embraced and let's figure that out so that's kind of optimistic that my optimistic part of it is folks are interested in learning about it they're interested in, in thinking about how to embrace it um now the big barrier for them is as most public schools in our country, they are, they already have priorities. They already have so many things that they're working on that uh, are, that they see as potentially in the way. So the one thing I always try to convince, uh, you know, leaders of is that AI doesn't have to be another thing. It can just work into your workflow as, as you're already working and it can accelerate your current priorities. Um, but because ed tech in general, and this is not to be critical of ed tech, but I think it is, my experience with it is usually, even if you get a really great tool in your hands, it's like, all right, now I got to set up the administrative side of this. I mean, some of your work, right? Now I got to add a bunch of users. Now I got to train teachers on how to use it now, you know, and then they might not use it at all. So like, there's this kind of like <laughs> back and forth that is like, sometimes ed tech has burned school districts because they're like, I put all this time, energy, effort, money into this. And I don't know the return I got on it. 
And that's not exclusive to ed tech. That's often true of like new curriculums that are rolled out that you know last a year and then go away. Um, so there is a little skepticism that's built into a new technology because of historic technologies that have, have rolled through. But when they actually see it and you demo it and you help them see like use cases in their work, they become much more compelled. On the second part of that question around like privacy ethics and those kinds of things, um, having now worked directly with districts on this, there is a really major concern that, uh, around student privacy. So, uh, you know, one thing that we know is happening in schools, and obviously I'm not encouraging this, and I'm actually helping districts come up with usage policies, policies to make sure that they're preserving student privacy. But like we know that there is a, a report that has a student's name in it and a lot of identifying information that was put into ChatGPT at some point in the last year, probably more than once, right, around the country of folks who are early adopters. And right now, that probably is in violation of a lot of states' privacy laws. Um, so, and, and, you know, the privacy laws often are, are varied state by state when it comes to student privacy. So uh, there is a lot of apprehension from those tech departments um, and you know, operations folks and legal uh, teams and districts to make sure that, that if we're gonna embrace AI, we gotta make sure that we're doing it in a way that is in, in co coordination with uh, our laws. And, and typically the way that works in ed tech, especially, and again, I think you know this well, is like there's a contract signed that that makes sure that a tech company um, mm -hmm. complies with the privacy laws and gives certain access to the districts. Um, and because this data is like going to like kind of an ether of open AI often, uh, you know, there's no control by the district of the data that happens. And because it's a, uh, a technology that is, you know, doesn't require membership, doesn't require like real usership or like you don't you don't need to be in co in coordination with the district to use it. Right. Uh, it, it poses this interesting privacy challenge uh, that is, uh, you know, tackleable, I guess, without a better word. But you need to be really intentional and you need to have really clear usage guidelines for your teachers, because I can promise you that in the last like month or two or three or four um, teachers have used this and violated privacy laws without their knowledge because districts don't train their teachers on privacy laws uh, or, or if they do, they don't do it well. So it's just a new era of like the way that we inform teachers about privacy and give real training to them around like, you know, usage of these tools. Because usually the tools you're using in your school building, they're kind of, they're gate, gate kept by your tech folks. Yeah. Uh, they've already done that work behind the scenes. And you know that well, I'm curious about your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the biggest things, and I'm glad that you brought that up because to me, it, you know, at the very beginning in January, I, I wrote a paper and I posted it up, you know, the advantages and the perils of AI. And of course, mm -hmm. me being like always wanting to be in the forefront and knowing everything and start just sharing. This was something that I was very cautious about because yeah. the more that I did my research on and seeing, you know, as far as data is concerned and, and the ethics behind it, and then, of course, we saw ChatGPT come out. There's There were a lot of people that were sharing what you could do with ChatGPT. And then, of course, teachers are using it. But then teachers are like, hey, I'm letting, uh, you're letting kids use it. But, you know, sometimes we don't think about like, hey, it says here 18 and over. And so then it's like, yeah. should we really be using this? And why are we not holding you know, this tool to the same standard as other tools that are in our district. And of course, it's because it's unknown. This is something new. And it happened in such a season for us that, you know, from January on, 
it's all about state testing. So a lot of things just fall by the wayside and those conversations are slowly coming back up. But then we also noticed when chat GPT said, Hey, now you can be 13. And then I put out a poll on Twitter and said, Hey, you know, how many of you educator friends, uh, have actually received parents signed permission and consent. And yeah. there weren't too many answers. There was a <laughs> lot of crickets, but it showed, you know, overwhelmingly it was about 63% had not asked parents for that parental consent because they assume that it's like, well, they already signed the the tech, uh, you know, tech form at the very beginning of the year. Yeah, but this is way different than what you're signing on. This is something that may not be included within that suite of tools that are allowed. So that to me is like, hey, we, we need to be very cautious for our students' sake, like you said, you know, putting in identifiers that can go out there. And then of course, even teachers as well, yeah. protecting their digital footprint. I know one of the things at the conference that we were just at was there was a gentleman who works for a company and the company just shut down ChatGPT because yeah. what happened is they said, look, if I go in there and I'm using ChatGPT and I'm using kind of references to maybe products or something that we are building that, you know, should not be out there, you know, ChatGPT is going to, you know, you're putting that information out there and eventually it's going to start kind of learning what it is that you're talking about and so on, because many people are putting in several instances and then it's going to bring that together. So they're very protective about that. And I was like, huh, that is very interesting because there's companies out there that, you know, like, I think, I, I don't know, I have a friend that worked at Apple and said like they shut it down too, because making references to some of the new things that might be rolling out. And then eventually, you know, somebody pops something in and you're getting this information. So those are the things that I'm concerned about because we still don't have much control. And then to what extent and how much can a school district do? So I think like what you're doing, number one, the biggest thing is should be informing all stakeholders. And like you said, having those conversations all the way up from superintendents and all the way down for to teachers, to parents, to yeah. students, and making sure that everybody's working on the same page and respecting that maybe there might be some students that or parents that may feel like, hey, you know, maybe I might opt my student out of this. But however, we do know that everybody's got one of these. So whether you're still using it on your phone, so that's why the digital uh, citizenship component of it is very important, the digital literacy and just that know-how of understanding what can happen with your information. Because at the end, um, one of the things on my paper, I was saying it was the data rentiership, where it's like, hey, here you go, I'm giving you this product for free, but normally when something's free, you end up being the product. And so now it's like, okay, look at all the wonderful data that I have. And, you know, so just being more transparent, I think would be something that would be wonderful and making sure that the the privacy, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, uh, geez, I'm looking for the, all that consent and everything should be very clear for parents and for everybody to know what will be used for that data. And, uh, but again, like I said, I'm here for all of this because this yeah. can definitely help transform education in a positive way. And like I said, it's all about giving teachers time back, mm -hmm. wonderful tools and students. Now, you know, this is the era I, I saw a post like, these new students that are coming in that as freshmen are going to be like that first freshman class that has all of these tools available, you know, at, at universities that can do pretty much, let's say maybe 80% of the work. 
and the other 20% is going to be, you know, them. So now how are the universities as well going to adapt to that? So those are some very important questions and topics there. (laughs) Completely agree. And uh, I'm excited about what that future holds. And, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned Daniel earlier on his podcast, and I think that, uh, and and you talked about this a little bit with him when he came on your show as well, this idea that there is, we're in this fast changing space and like, it, it's going to change so much in terms of the next three years and three years from now, what is it going to look like when college students, this is encouraged and the best students and the best professionals are augmented by their AI work partner. Um, and, you know, what I hope, you know, my, my optimism in that is that we're producing such high quality science, such high quality art, such, um, you know, so many things that can enrich all of our lives uh, because we have this, this partner, this, this augmented uh, AI that helps us become and helps us do more than we could ever do before. Um, and, lets us, you know, experience life in a different way, right? Like, you know, I, I got to do some travel in Europe during my sabbatical and and I thought to myself, wow, an hour lunch for a teacher, you know, like in in France, they, they all do like an hour, right? Like companies sponsor that. And like, you know, usually you get like a little, uh, you know, a, a stipend almost, right? Every single day you go to lunch with your colleagues, you spend a whole hour with them, you eat lunch, you have a glass of wine. It's lovely, right? Like, can we imagine a US in America where folks feel like they have the time to do that. Teachers feel like they have the time to do that. Um, maybe not the glass of wine, but, you know, the the opportunity to, to converse with their peers, not just scarf down food and run to like get to their next planning task or whatever it is. And that's a future that I want to help build. Um, and and one of the reasons that we, we are working on Magic School AI and trying to make it the most robust possible tool that is usable by by teachers in their current environment. You know, one of the things our team always talks about is we want things that people will love and use. Uh, we don't, uh, and this is not to be disparaging of others, but we want to build like build like a generic tool that like you know just produces something. You put in a, a word and you get something out. We want it to be really technical, like for teachers who are in the classroom and doing things that are very specific. And my experience as a teacher and a principal, like you know, I've coached teachers. I know what excellence looks like, and I want to have a tool that drives excellence, drives equity, rather than a tool that produces a generic lesson plan or produces something that is uh, that you know could be used anywhere. I want it to drive a, a lesson plan that drives student outcomes, right? Like we want a uh, a lesson plan that's culturally relevant and reaches students um, in different places. So um, what you see now is a modest version of that, but we are aggressively pushing, and we have an amazing team that's working on building this this tool to be the best possible uh, one that that exists. And and to your point earlier of like if it's free, we're probably uh, we're probably like you know you're probably the product. Uh, the good news is that you're not the product. We don't collect any of your data. We don't collect any student private information, uh, and it will be free for teachers for now and forever. So that's wonderful. And so what I'm going to do here, Adil, is I'm going to go ahead and share this and I'm going to pop it in here into our screen so you can go ahead and walk us through what it is that we are seeing here. And let me see if I can find the better way. There we go. That'll be good right now. So, you know, go ahead and share with us. You kind of drive the boat, but okay. So as an educator, I come here to magicschool.ai and I log in, you know, and of course just single sign on, you know, using my, my Gmail (laughs) account, but okay. So walk me through here as far as what I'm seeing, as far as text transformer planning, communication custom, and of course everything that we see here, uh, 
again, like you said, you want to come up with a tool right now. Like I said, I love so far what I, the, the fact that it is easy and it's not yeah. overbearing for a teacher. It's like, you've got the main menus there that pop out. And so I'll know immediately where it is that I need to go, but walk us through this if you don't mind. Yeah. So thanks for noticing that. I mean, we designed it from the very start to be as simple as possible. Um, and when we actually get to the tools and how to use them, I think you'll see that simplicity drawn out even further. But on the left hand side there, um, you'll see the categories. So we have text transformer. A lot of the things that AI can do are things that take text and, and modify them in ways that make them more usable in different settings. And teachers can use this in so many different ways. Uh, in taking the text that they're teaching in their classroom, taking text that they're sharing with colleagues, like an email, uh, like a letter to a parent, those kinds of things. And AI can do extraordinary things with it. Can I highlight just a couple of the tools in this category? Um, one, one that I think is really promising, if you click on the text leveler tool, um, this one's really exciting. If you put in uh, any text, so the one that I always use is uh, you can get the Great Gatsby online. Uh, is, it, is it possible for me to share my screen? Alfonso? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. Do you have cool. that ready? I do. Yeah, I can share. Perfect. Can share. Excellent. Perfect. I can actually, I have the text ready, so it'd make yeah. it a little bit yes. easier to, Wonderful. to share. So is that working? Yep. There we go. Fantastic. So I'm going to go to this text leveler tool and uh, as a former English teacher, I, uh, I know what it means to have diverse learners in the classroom. You know, most folks, I taught 12th grade English my first year in the classroom. And anyone who's taught 12th grade knows that, you know, there are students who are on varied grade levels when they get to their senior year. Not everyone is quite on reading level yet. It's a tragedy in our country. Um, and we, you know, every kid deserves to be on grade level by the time they're at that grade level. Unfortunately, it's not a reality. But it is our job as ed educators to reach them and help them learn and help them be successful despite maybe not um, being uh, on the same level of the text that we're te teaching in class. So the text leveler tool helps you uh, level a text for them. So um, basically you can take any text uh, that you put into it. I'm gonna copy and paste an excerpt from The Great Gatsby um, and it can level it down to reach a student who might be a little bit behind in their reading level. So uh, this is a, uh, just for context, this is like typically an 11th, 12th grade text, but I definitely had kids who were on eighth grade reading level when I was a, uh, a teacher. And you can see instantly, uh, and if you kind of track the text, you can see how it's leveling it and how it becomes much more readable for a student who's behind grade level. Um, and you can do this with any text. Uh, this might be really valuable too for a highly technical scientific text that you're, you're reading with students in 12th grade where you want the kid to understand the concept um, and it's really gonna be applicable to perhaps the science problems they're working on or the math problems they're working on, but it's really difficult for them to access that text. But if they were able to access that text, they do have the math skills to be able to attack the problem. So you can level down your directions, level down the scientific text so they can understand the concept in simpler language and then attack that scientific uh, or math principle really, really well, despite being a little bit behind. So really excited about how this like transforms the, the world's, uh, world of teachers. I had teachers in my school who did three different levels of text for every single period that they taught. And they did that manually. So like before every period, they took the text, they had one like kind of in the middle for students who are in the middle of the reading level and one for students who are a little bit uh, further behind. And that was, at least an hour of work, right? Of just taking the text and doing it. And here you can do that instantly. 
Now, what I love about this, before uh, we go on with the demo, uh, yeah. like you said, just the ease of use because we know one teacher, 27, maybe possibly 32 students. We don't know just depending on where you're at and what grade you teach. But like you said, the fact that you can take that text ahead of time, you see your curriculum, you know where you're going to need to be, you know specifically which students are going to need those additional supports and for us as educators to have the ability to instantaneously be able to adapt that text for those specific student needs is something that is amazing. I mean, you have that resource in hand. And like you said, now I am ready to go for the next three periods or four periods, depending on what it is that you teach and you have that available. So my question to you is on this, you know, I see that there is a uh, copy tool. So is this something that once I create my text, I can go ahead and bring that out and there you go, copy to clipboard and then I can bring it out to another document. That's excellent. That's right. I Click copy, that. bring it back to whatever you're already working in. If you're working in Google Docs, whatever it might be, it's super uh, easy to just take it wherever you need it to go. And we know that teachers use a ton of varied platforms when they're lesson planning. I know teachers who still use OneNote on their desktop. I know teachers who are using PowerPoint, they're using Microsoft Word, Google. So we didn't want to necessarily uh, fumble around with all the different tools. We wanted to make it as accessible as possible right away. Um, so it comes out in a really nice format. You copy it, it'll go into the same place that you need it to go in the same format that's in your original document and just works. So um, that's one of the tools. Another one that I want to uh, show that I'm a big fan of, we'll jump to the planning section here, is the text-dependent questions tool. So the text-dependent questions tool takes any text, uh, and we'll use that same text I use for the Great Gatsby. And since that's a 12th grade text, I will choose 12th grade, um, and I'll pretend I was my 12th grade teacher again. You can actually type in the question types you want. So as an English teacher, uh, I taught, you know, all English typically revolves around literary devices, comprehension, theme, those kinds of things. But if this was a nonfiction article, I might just say I want comprehension questions with a focus on this topic in the, uh, in, in the article. The idea here when we put, put in question types, and you'll see like we kind of have a lot of fields we give to teachers, is we want them to be specific. We want them to add context. We want them to get what they need from the AI. And you and I both know that AI works best when it gets really clear direction. So that's why we try to build into the prompting and into the form that customization opportunity. So let's take that like for a spin. So I'm gonna say a number of questions here is seven. I'm gonna say I want a mix of comprehension and literary devices. And the excerpt of text I'm reading for this period with my class is this section of The Great Gatsby. I just copied and pasted it there. And I'm going to hit generate. And it's going to generate for me based on the text that I just dropped in that bottom, a mix of comprehension questions and questions about literary devices for the, the class that I'm teaching that day. So um, hyper relevant to what you're doing, right? It, it feels really relevant because it's the actual text you're teaching in your classroom. Um, and it saves you a bunch of time. And a savvy teacher will go in and say, you know, I like that question. I don't like that question. Um, I'm going to change this one a little bit. And we encourage that, right? This might just be a first step for you. For some, it might do it all for you. Uh, but we know that AI is used best when it's in combination with human work, when the educator is still the expert. Um, and, and that's what we, we aim to do here. So again, same thing. You just go here, hit copy, drop it into your lesson plan. You have an assignment for your kids to read before they go to maybe a culminating uh, activity at the end of class. Oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Like I said, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. Your goal, like, and we talked about earlier is giving teachers their time back. And, and 
honestly, you know, with the myriad of tools that are out there, I know there's a lot of educators that jump from tool to tool to tool. Uh, but this, what I love is number one, like you said, the simplicity. And again, it just gets you focused on what it is that you need to do. And this is the stuff that even myself being in the classroom, these are the things that I needed on the day to day that I can adjust and adapt. And, you know, sometimes even use to improvise the lesson, let's say something's not going right, but then yeah. I've got a plan B and now I can just say, okay, let me do some question types with this and maybe do like a, something and create a little reteach and so on. So, I mean, this tool right here, the simplicity of it is wonderful. It's not overwhelming and it doesn't feel kind of like, Oh, another thing on my plate. It's more of a, Hey, this is helping me, you know, take some things off my plate now. And that I think is huge. Yeah. And how many teachers and being effective? Totally. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, how many teachers we know get called into a last minute, you got to cover this class, right? And you might make a current events lesson or something really quick because you need to get to it. Um, this tool would help you like take that current events article and make some text dependent questions and have like a real activity for kids to dive into uh, when you're called in last minute. And maybe you don't have the time to like kind of curate the question or, or kind of, you know, make it the most perfect thing. Uh, we know that is the reality that teachers have. So uh, why not make it something that instead of putting on a movie or, you know, putting on CNN student news, there's something really like, you know, juicy that the kids can dive into with really relevant questions. Um, and they can produce that in an instant and go into the class feeling may, way more prepared um, and ready for, for, for teaching and, and maybe subbing in that classroom. So we, we think with augmenting your current work, you can do that with this, but also, you know, sometimes you're doing work that's not even yours. Uh, so uh, this can help you with that too. I love it. This is wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Yeah. You know what? Let me show you one more that I think is just yeah. a fun tool. Uh, so I will go to the communication tools that I think are really exciting. Uh, and, you know, one thing I'll share is this letter of recommendation tool. So uh, <laughs> I can see uh, right now, just by you doing this, I can already see, you know, me sharing this with my counselors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're just going to be like, yes, this is it. <laughs> right? So again, we, we take safety and privacy seriously. Mm -hmm. So we don't ask for the student name that you're at, you're going to be referring or you're going to write the recommendation for. Uh, but we do ask for their pronouns so the, the it can be written as, as mm -hmm. best possible um, without including their name. And it'll have like a student name placeholder. So you can put that in after you use the tool. Albeit, we do not collect personal information anyways, and we, we don't use this to train large language models like ChatGPT does. Still do that as kind of an extra layer of privacy. Um, let's say that we have a local university here, Colorado College is where we're recommending the student. And, you know, you can put the details that you want to include as their classroom teacher here. Um, I'm going to put a couple of just the student that I can think of off the top of my head, president of the National Honor Society. Uh, worked hard to win the Spanish language award, um, is a great friend and emotional support to their uh, classmates. And, you know, the more you give, the better it will be, just like always with AI. Um, but as you can see, even with pretty simple prompting and like, you know, the teacher still knows the student here, right? They're, they're giving information that only they would know. It's not going to be a generic letter. It's going to be about the kid. Um, 
but you know these essays are pretty formulaic and that's okay you know that that five paragraph essays exist um and if this can save you time you can use this as kind of your first shot of your letter of recommendation do some customization add a little personalization now you took a task that is and if you look at this pretty closely it's pretty solid right yeah um, uh you took a task that might have taken you an hour and a half and now it goes down to like a five to 10 minute editing process, enhancing process um, that you can just copy, put it into your official school letterhead. And now you have a letter of recommendation that is is really solid and very good to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, as I shared that tool with college counselors that I know, um, it was actually inspired by some college counselors that uh, worked at my school. They shared that, you know, I said, how much does it typically take you to write one of these? Because, you know, they have caseloads of about 50 kids that they're writing these for. And they said, you know, it's probably like an hour, an hour and a half. And half of that, half of that time is just anxiety about starting to write. Uh, like, I'll get my coffee out. I'll put it out on the weekend. I'll like just avoid it for a little bit because I don't want to start and I'm nervous about it and I want to make them great. So to have something give that first draft for you and like just get you started, save so much anxiety and like challenge for an educator and we already know they have enough anxiety in their lives they have enough work to do so to be able to get like that first draft before you know you refine it gets people started gets them done faster and lets them know that they can get get the work done so um that tool as you you know your reaction i think was like you you get it right you get it right away it's like oh yeah that is such an amazing use of generative ai uh and it affects educators right away in my school uh you know we have a caseload of 50 students per college counselor. We have about three college counselors because we have a really, um, a really uh, just specific college program to help our kids. Uh, and we built our school in that way as I founded it. But most high schools are thousands of kids have about three counselors. And to get a letter of recommendation for your counselor is almost completely like, it's just not gonna happen. And not because they don't want to, but because they have an enormous volume of kids. And now maybe it's easier to say yes to to every kid um, and give them that same opportunity uh, that kids in more privileged schools and more in private schools that get those letter of recommendations. Um, maybe we can even the playing field with a tool like that. Absolutely. You know, and you mentioned so many things there, you know, that anxiety, you know, obviously you've got so many students and, and that because at your program, you know, you had like 50 per counselor, but I mean, here were the school sizes that we have here. And of course those bigger schools, I mean, their students, their, their student count is probably a lot higher. And the yes. fact to be able to get through all of those students and that anxiety that builds up and just not, not only that, but the fact that you're going to have to work outside of your regular work hours because you've got of course your regular counseling that you have to do making sure that your kids are okay bringing doing activities calling parents doing all of those things and then on top of that this and so what i, I we were having a discussion about this you know with some colleagues and i said you know this kind of reminds me of when i used to have that stack of papers at the corner of my desk for all my three classes and then that stack just looked ominous at the end of the day that I just, you know, sometimes would just shove it in my filing cabinet because I didn't want to see it. And it would just produce that anxiety or you take that milk crate home of essays and <laughs> yeah. things that you have to, and then it's just there sitting on the corner, just looking at you and you're like, no, I'm not doing it. But this, the fact that I saw that right away and my reaction was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> the time that we're able to save these, you know, our counselors to 
really make sure, you know, checking on on just students and making sure that they're okay and still be able to do this in a, in a quick form. And, and again, not having to start from scratch and simply taking what it generates and then just sprinkling on some of their awesome sauce if they the once they because they know their students so mm-hmm. then they can just go in do a couple of revisions and they're done you know yeah. maybe yeah. maybe less than 10 minutes 15 minutes or so and all right let's go on to the next one and yep. man that is amazing <laughs> that right there is worth its weight in gold getting that, <laughs> getting that time back i am very impressed to do yeah. it thank you well, so well, much I'm, for sharing that yeah thanks for the kind words you know one thing i'll also add is is uh, you know we're talking about college counselors but this is also invisible work for teachers uh and it's that work that we don't acknowledge that teachers do um that you know you know there's that favorite teacher in school that every kid when they get to junior senior year they say i want Ms. Smith to write my recommendation because she loves me and knows me really well. And she was my favorite teacher and just happens to be she's also the favorite teacher of 70 other kids who came to her and asked her for that letter of recommendation, too. And now she has 70 letters of recommendation to write over the summer. I'm not using this as a hypothetical. I know a teacher like this uh, who has 70 letters of recommendation outside of being a full time teacher to write this summer. Um, and this hopefully will also save them time uh, in that process. So there, there's all these things that we, we just don't really appreciate that teachers have to do on a regular basis and, and how I, I think urgently needed they are. They, they are in need of support and need to honor that profession more than we do. Absolutely. I am all for this, you know, with, with tech. I mean, just to even, you know, for our great veteran teachers that maybe just feel overwhelmed, but something like a, a, a piece of, of, of this platform can just help transform and relieve some of that, you know, stress and also be help them in the creation process and adapting what they already have, you know, and, and that's what I tell a lot of my teachers. It's like, listen, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You've got so much content and all we're doing is just spicing it up now with some of these tools that we have. And, you know, some veteran teachers that have been in our district for about 29, 30 years that they've still yeah. been there, you know, they've been like, man, Mr. Mendoza, thank you so much for sharing this tool or that tool because I feel kind of like rejuvenated. Like now I've found my workflow. I've updated my lessons. This these yeah. this workflow makes things a lot easier. And then you keep that veteran teacher there that they can still share their knowledge and mentor other teachers. And of course, you know, the students benefit from that as well. And that it definitely is awesome. So yeah. man, Adil, thank you so much, Adil. I really yeah. appreciate everything that you have done, you know, and of course, getting AI out there and having those conversations with, you know, everybody from superintendents to teachers, and of course, the work that you're doing with Magic School AI. And I'm thankful too that you were able to be on the show today. I know you said that it has, it was released on Monday. So today's (laughs) Wednesday. So I'm just really excited that you were able to be here on our show today and just demo this with the world. And hopefully, like I said, they'll definitely hop on and see the amazing work that can be done through this. So thank you so much, Adil. So before we wrap up, Adil, I just wanted to ask you just a couple of, uh, well, actually just wanted to ask you, how would our audience members be able to connect with you and what's the best way that they could just go to find your awesome website? Yeah, so you can find our website at www.magicschool.ai. Um, and you can, uh, if you go to the 
about us page, you can see our whole team and you can see their email addresses too if you want to reach out to them. If you don't get that far, just email hey at magicschool.ai. Uh, we are across all socials that you can think of, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, and our handle at all of them is at magicschoolai. Um, and so you can keep up with us there. Uh, you, if you sign up for an account, it takes literal seconds. Um, there's no friction. You just sign in with Google or uh, create an account with your regular email address and you can get started right now. There is, you know, we're not going to ask you for a ton of information where it, 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 it takes literally five seconds to get started. So I encourage you to engage with the tool and that's the best way to engage with us. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Adil. I really appreciate it. And like I said, the work that you've put into this with, you know, like you said, everything that you've been able to do and from December on to be able to create a tool such as this. And I know that this is only the beginning because this is only going to get better. But just with what you have shared today, that uh, the potential and I get excited because, like <laughs> I said, I remember myself in the classroom. And if I would have had something like this, uh, it would that's over. It's done. Like I am good <laughs> to go. I'm set for the year and we're ready. Let's go. So, yeah, yeah. very, very, very exciting. But all right, Adil. So before we wrap up, I always love to end the show with the following three questions. So with question number one, Adil, as we mentioned, every superhero has an origin story. But we also know that for the most part, every superhero story that we hear, they also have a weakness. So Superman, his weakness was kryptonite. So my question to you, Adil, is in the current state of we'll do a two-parter maybe or maybe you can blend both of these in the current state of in of education what is your current either edu kryptonite or ai kryptonite mm. uh i can probably combine a little bit of both so i had a great conversation today uh that we're speaking with someone about the future of learning and the intersection of ai in that future and uh, one of the, the things we talked about that is a edu and I think AI kryptonite in the education space is that um, this has been true throughout the history of education. It's very difficult for folks to imagine education different from what it is already or like a traditional classroom environment, a traditional way of learning um, because they grew up in that classroom environment and innovation while it happens is slow and often looks pretty similar to what we've done in the past. Uh, maybe just done a little bit better. Um, so I'd love to see AI be a thing that takes leaps in innovation quickly. And while the technology is making those leaps, uh, I think the kryptonite for the education space right now is that because for good reason, educators are busy, they, have, uh, they don't have enough resources, um, they're not necessarily keeping up with the wave. So uh, I would love to see um, our education system take this and make the time for it because it could be that accelerant that changes education for the better and starts furthering equity in, in really meaningful ways. Excellent. Great answer. I love the way that you brought those two worlds together. All right, Adil, question number two is, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I think that I would pick uh, 
live your values. Um, so uh, one thing that when I was a principal, I would always encourage students who were struggling or you know maybe found their, their way to my office for one reason or another, uh, to start thinking about what they value and who they are and their values as a person. Um, and whatever those are, I'm not here to judge uh, those values. Uh, I want you to come up with those. I want you to do your best every day to live by those values. Um, and that is something that we, you know, I thought I, I led my school with was, you know, whatever circumstance that arises, whatever challenges we face, what is that, you know, I was a principal during COVID. Uh, we had a lot of challenging moments uh, during that time. And when you found a school, there are lots of ups and downs. Uh, one thing that I could be grounded in is I know my values. I know what I care about and they can guide me through uncertain times. Excellent. Great answer. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. Adil, last question before we wrap up is if you can try out a job for a day just to see if you like it, which job would you choose? Try it out for a day uh, would be like being a professional athlete. Uh, <laughs> I would love to. I mean, if I had any uh, physical talent or skill, I played basketball when I was in high school um, and you know, the Denver Nuggets, which is where I'm based, are going to the NBA Finals. I'm so unbelievably excited. And if for a day I could be Jamal Murray, you know, shooting a three-point basket and making it and being amazing uh, and feeling the energy of the crowd and folks cheering me on, I'll, I'll take a day of that. That sounds like an extraordinary, amazing thing to do. Excellent. Well, great answer, Adil. Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, thank you so much for being here as an amazing guest here on My Ed Tech Life. And my friend, although you may not be shooting that three, I am definitely cheering for you and clapping for you all the way because of the work that you have done. Not only that, Adil, but just really just the passion that has come through in this conversation, showing how you really care about this space and making it better for all educators through and through and the thought that went behind this product, which is magicschool.ai. So thank you so much. I know it's not a big, you know, crowd cheering you on, but <laughs> you, definitely you've got, you know, me cheering you on for the work. So keep doing what you're doing, Adil. Thank you so much. And for all our audience members, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I want to thank, uh, I know Steve was in here. Also, Sherry Fleischer was probably joining us here on LinkedIn as well. And for all of you that are going to be catching this on the replay, uh, please make sure that you go ahead and visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 206 amazing episodes with wonderful educators and creators that you can take some knowledge nuggets from, sprinkle them on to what you are already doing great. And also, my friends, if you love to contribute to our mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time, please stop by our merch store. We've got some great caps, some shirts, you know, anything that you contribute to our mission goes right back to our show so we can go ahead and continue to bring you some amazing guests and amazing conversations as well. But as always, thank you so much for all of your support, my friends. And until next time, don't forget, stay techie.